So today, I decided that what I wanted to preach about was grief, um, which is sort of an interesting topic. It's something that doesn't, that we don't talk about often, and also doesn't really get talked about in the church very frequently. Um, it's not something that we should avoid, but we're very good at avoiding the topic anyway. Um, it's, it feels easier to sort of bury or ignore or just not talk about the grief that we might be facing in our lives as individuals and as communities that we exist in. But grief is, is an integral part of the human experience, and therefore it is something that we have to talk about, we have to engage with, and we have to discuss at times. And not to mention it's a very biblical uh, experience and a very biblical thing that scripture references countless amounts of times, um, both in the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. Many of the Psalms um, that we read and find are about grief and about pain and about loss. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about it. Jesus references it in his ministry. Um, the book of Lamentations is an entire book devoted to talking about grief and pain and loss. And so this means that because it's scripturally based and it's biblical, that we as a church should be talking about it. And we should be talking about it in reference to our faith and to God and sort of how all of these things interconnect with one another as we, you know, talk about a topic which is difficult for us to talk about sometimes. Um, but we're going to talk about it because, again, this is, grief is something that everyone experiences at some point in their life. Um, I don't know that it's possible as a human being to get through um, any amount of time without having some sort of grief, grief or loss that we experience. Um, and we all experience loss, whether it's losing a job or a relationship, a friendship, a loved one, a home, a community that we were a part of. We've all, at some point in our lives, experienced a piece of loss that has impacted the way in which we experience the world and view ourselves and um, sort of move forward in that way. So the question then becomes... Not that do we experience grief, but once we experience grief, what's next? What does scripture tell us? What does our human experience tell us about what do we do when we are experiencing grief? And I saw this um, really interesting TED talk um, from um, someone who was speaking about grief. And they said that the cure for grief is motion. And I thought that that was a really interesting concept, and so I kind of wanted to like flesh that out more and, and think about what does it mean when, when someone says that the cure for grief is motion, or then um, I sort of reframe that in my mind as movement or growth. That, the, that one of the cures that we can sort of approach grief with is learning what it means to have movement and growth in our lives. Um, and when I think about um, this movement that um, impacts the way in which we experience grief, for me it means envisioning a better future and then actively creating that future, which is very similar to how I view hope. Um, and I think hope is a good um, follower of grief. Um, and so it is, it is this sort of movement from, from grief and pain and loss into a place of hope and future. Um, and, and recognizing that it's a conscious, active process that we engage in when we think about this movement out of grief. 
And so how many of you have heard uh, the, the phrase, time heals all wounds? We've probably all heard that before. I really don't like that phrase um, because I think that it's just not true. Or at least it's not true that time alone can heal all wounds because time is a passive process. We don't actively make time happen. We don't actively make tomorrow come, right? It's sort of this passive process that happens. Um, and I think that in order for us to find healing out of grief, we have to be active participants in that healing. And time alone is not an active participant. For example, if, you know, just think of like a physical wound. If you were to cut your finger while you were cooking or something like that, you wouldn't just go, all right, I'll just wait. Time will heal this wound. And in some respects, the passage of time will eventually help heal it, but also we're like, oh, okay, I should probably wash it, disinfect it, put a Band-Aid on it. If it's a bad enough cut, go to the hospital. You know, like we will be active participants in healing that wound because we know that time alone isn't just going to magically fix this cut on our finger. And we know that if we were to ignore our active participation in healing this wound, that it might get infected, it's probably gonna get worse, and it would turn from just maybe a minor cut on the tip of our finger to some sort of infection that affects our whole hand, our whole body. It'll fester and it'll get worse if we just ignore it and pretend it's not there. And this is a really similar process, I think, for sort of the mental and emotional wounds that we face when related to grief, that if we just simply ignore that it's there, it's gonna become worse. And it's going to start coming out in other ways in our lives that might be harmful to us or harmful to those around us. And it'll fester and it'll get worse. And it might turn from this really small thing that we could have dealt with to sort of this bigger problem that starts to affect how we engage with the rest of our lives. And sort of as an example of this, I have a, a friend who um, a while back she was in a very serious relationship with someone that she was deeply in love with and very much thought that this was the person for her. And then one day he broke up with her. And this was a really devastating experience for her. It was a big moment of grief and loss in her life. And as a result, she sort of anchored herself in that moment of loss. She stayed static and refused to move forward in any other part of her life because the grief became so overwhelming and the loss was so significant that she just decided that it was easier to just stay in that moment. And for two years, she stayed stuck in this grief. She lost confidence. She didn't believe that she had value or worth. Um, time didn't heal her. Two years of time passed and she still experienced grief at the same level as she did when the initial breakup happened. Um, it began to affect her worldview, her view of herself, how she viewed other relationships in her life, that maybe she didn't deserve to have people close to her, that she didn't deserve to be in relationships with others, that there was something wrong with her, and she just stayed in that moment, and there was no movement in her life as a result. And so I think about her, and I think about other moments of grief that I've seen and that I've experienced, and I think a lot about what does it mean for us to have movement in our lives after we experience this grief. And, and again, as I kind of said earlier, I think that 
movement, this movement out of grief is a creative process. And I, what I mean is, again, that we're creating a new future for ourselves, or we're creating a new way to interact with the world, or we're creating a new way of existing that adds that piece of grief into our story and into our experiences. But there is something new that will come out of this grief because we will never be the same as we were before the grief happened, before the loss, before the pain. And so movement in my mind is a creative process. And one of the points of hope that I think I can give us all when we think about moving sort of in this grief process is that God created us to be co-creators. So when I say co-creators, I mean that God um, has given us the power and the ability to create new futures, to create the world around us, that we have, that it's not just, again, this passive process where, like, God created humans, and then God's like, all right, you guys just sit and relax, and I will literally do everything, right? We know that that's not true. We know that God invites us to be a part of creating the world around us and invites us to be a part of sort of creating what our lives are going to look like, what our futures are going to look like, and the way in which the world sort of comes into existence. That it's not just a process that God does, but that God invites us to. So we have the ability to partner with God in these sort of creative processes and making our lives better and making the world better. Um, and as a result, we also have the power to move from grief to hope because we have the power to be a part of that creative movement in readjusting our lives as we go forward. And just to give some like um, scriptural basis for this, so you don't think I'm just like making up this whole co-creative thing, um, I, I think a lot about um, the creation story from Genesis chapter 2. Um, and, and this, I think, is a really obvious place in which we see God giving us the power of co-creation and giving us and sort of allowing us to see the capabilities that we have as people to be active participants in what the world looks like and what our lives look like. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, it reads, And then God said, it is, oh, so this is like right after God has created the first human being. So just to like frame ourselves and where we are in the story. So then God said, it is not good for the human to be alone. I will make a fitting companion for it. And so from the soil, God formed all the various wild beasts and all the birds of the air and brought them to the human to be named. Whatever the human called each one, that became its name. And the human gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the air and all the wild animals. But none of them proved to be a fitting companion. And so God made the human fall into a deep sleep. And while it slept, God divided the earth creature in two and then closed up the flesh from its side. And then God fashioned the two halves into male and female and presented them to one another. And so this, I think, is a really remarkable scripture. And it's one that... Um, I didn't really learn more about until I was in seminary. I didn't really have a context for it. So I was like, all right, cool. They named all the animals. That must have been like a really long and annoying process of having like thousands of animals. And you're like, cow, dolphin, 
like having to go through this process. And I just always kind of thought it was weird. Um, but then I started to learn more about the scripture and what it actually means in the context of the entire sort of biblical narrative. And this is, I think there's two ways in this scripture in which God is inviting us into being co-creators with God. Um, I think that the first was that God invited the human to name the animals. And this seems a little like a trivial thing, but it's a really big fact because in the Hebrew Bible, naming was the main way in which God created things and lives and futures for people was by naming them. And so earlier in the creation story, when, when God was creating the world, the creation process is never finished until God names things. So God separated the light from the dark and then names them day and night. And then it was good. And then God separates the waters above from the waters below. And then God names them sea and sky. And then it was good. And so we see this process of God like physically creating it and then finishing that creative process by naming it. And so by having um, the humans name the animals... God is inviting the human to be a part of finishing the creative process of creating life on earth. And so we see this just over and over throughout the Bible of, of the power of, of naming things and how that is such a creative force in our world. I mean, we even see it when like God changes the names of characters in the Bible, and it's always at this part where the person's life is about to take a significant change and they're about to create for themselves a new life and a new world. And so God renames Jacob to Israel after Jacob struggles with God and it becomes clear that Jacob will be sort of the founder of Israel. And God renames him. Abram and Sarai are renamed to Abraham and Sarah after God decides that it's through their offspring that Israel will be blessed, that this sort of group of people, this chosen people of God will be blessed. And then we have Paul in the New Testament, whose name was Saul. And then once he decided to become sort of a follower of Jesus and to start talking about what it means to be church and community, he's renamed to Paul. And so there's always these big sort of creative changes that come with naming things. And so when we see that the human gets to name animals, we know we're sort of, the readers at the time would have like instantly been like, oh wow, like God invited human beings to be part of creation? Like that's a really big deal because that wasn't a really common thing that happened in a lot of mythologies and religions. It was always the gods who created. And in this, and in this story, the humans get to create as well. And so the second piece, I think, that um, of God sort of inviting us into the creative process is that when God creates the second human, so God creates the first human by, like, forming clay into a human. And I think it's interesting that when God's like, actually, a second human would actually be a better companion. God doesn't take more clay and create a second human. God's like, I will invite this person into the creative process again by taking flesh from one and creating a second human. And then, as we know, how do new humans get created? It's by us being a part of that creative process. And so, again, this is a way of God sort of inviting us into the creative process and saying that the second human and the third human and the fourth human and the fifth human are all going to be a result of humans participating in that creative process. And so, I say all of this 
sort of as context to get our minds to understand the power that we have to create and the power and ability that God has bestowed within us to be a part of creating new things and exciting things and incredible things. And without understanding that we have this power, we're less likely to actually be active participants in creating things because we might think we're not capable of doing it. And this scripture is saying, no, actually, one of the very first things God did was give humans the power of co-creation with God. And so... Again, I, I, to tie it back into this idea of the cure for grief is motion. If we are to view sort of the movement, I don't want to say away from grief or out of grief because I feel like that frames it incorrectly because grief becomes sort of a part of who we are and it's not something that we like leave behind and disconnect ourselves from and then we like move forward into happiness, right? Like we sort of learn how to integrate grief into our life and integrate this loss into our life. And then realize what does our future look like now that this is a part of us. And so I don't want to say like moving away from grief, but moving as a part of the process of grief, I think, is a really creative process. Because we have to figure out what do our lives look like now that this loss is a part of our lives. We are essentially each time we experience grief and then decide to move forward, we're deciding to create a new way of living and a new way of existing. And in order for that creation to happen, we have to be an active participant in that creation. And as we've seen, God thinks that we're more than capable of being a part of that creative process. And so to tie it back into my friend from earlier, she eventually did decide to involve movement back into her life. And she sat down and she imagined what could her life look like knowing that she had experienced this grief and this loss. And she imagined this future, and then she went out and made it happen. She created a better way for herself to live while experiencing this grief. And now she's one of the most confident, um, joyous people that I have the pleasure of knowing. She, um, she chose movement over stagnation, and as a result, she grew, and she learned to deal with the grief that she was experiencing in her life, and parts of her life improved as a result of it. She decided that grief was not going to be the final act of her entire story. It wasn't going to be the final chapter or the final verse, that it was going to be a part of her story, but not the only thing that made sense or that mattered as a part of her story. Um, so yeah, she decided to move, and as a result, she created, and as a result, she grew, and as a result, she got a better and more complete life, um, partnering with God in that process. And so that's kind of what I want to emphasize, is, is the understanding that grief is hard, and sometimes it feels impossible, and it feels like we'll be stuck in that moment forever as we sort of replay it in our head over and over over and it feels like we really have um, nowhere else to go but I want to encourage you to know that God is with you in that process and that God is encouraging you to move forward and will walk with you as you figure out the scary process of what it looks like to create a new life with that grief with that loss and with that pain and another um, sort of verse or 
chapter of the Bible that I think a lot about in terms of grief is from Lamentations 3. And I'm not going to read it all because it's really long. But basically in this uh, chapter of Lamentations, there is um, the, the, the writer is talking about all of this pain that he's experiencing, all of this loss that he's experiencing, and all of this grief that he has encountered in his life. And for lines and lines and lines, he's just talking about how awful things are and how terrible it is to lose and all this pain that he has in his life. And then all of a sudden, he stops and he says, but I have hope because I cried out to God and God responded saying, do not fear, I am with you. And I think about that a lot, that as we experience this grief and as it feels overwhelming and it feels weighted down, we always have hope because we always have God with us in that grief. And we always know that we have the ability and the power to move ourselves forward in life, to create a new way of thinking and a new way of being that brings joy back into our life, that understands um, the importance of all of these different pieces that make up who we are as humans. And so when we lean into that hope, we start to move. And when we start to move, we start to grow and we start to create. And we start to realize that grief is not the end point of our story. It is not the only thing that impacts us, but it is a part of what makes us human. And being human is a beautiful experience that we get to encounter and engage with every day. And so... I just leave you again with the words of God who says, do not fear. Please pray with me. God of both grief and hope, I pray that you continue to be with us in all of our experiences, that you sit with us in our grief, that you dance with us in our joy, and that you walk with us as we journey forward as humans and as communities and as your people. And so I pray for your continued presence, for your continued support, and for your continued blessings on each and every one in this building and in this community, God. I pray for all of these things in your son's name. Amen.